Hi, everybody. I'm Jenny from New York. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio It's the sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. In just a second, I'll talk with rapper The Grouch. But first, let's hear some music from his new album. It's called Show You the World. Not just to get by. Why would I stay dirty? I made my mistakes. It was fate, not worthy. I'm earthly, dumb, godly, brilliant, deeply sorry. Hella resilient. Hella fake, fake, y'all. To the beach, y'all. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. My guest on the program is uh, The Grouch. His new album is Show You the World. For the past uh, 10 years plus, he's been uh, touring the globe and making records with the Living Legends Collective, a, a group of independent hip-hop artists out of the Bay Area and Los Angeles. Um, and he's uh, he, he's long been a stalwart of the California independent hip hop scene. Uh, Grouch, welcome to the Sound of Young America. Oh, Pleasure thanks for having thanks for having me. I feel great to be here. Um, yeah, hello everybody out there listening. Um, you grew up in the uh, you grew up in the East Bay, right? I'm not I'm not misremembering that. Yes, I grew up in Oakland, California, and moved to uh, the Los Angeles area about eight years ago. Your your I know your dad was a was a musician. Was he uh, was he a full time musician or a part time musician? He was definitely a full time musician. He never cracked into like you know making it big. Uh, I guess you could say, but he was a uh, working Bay Area musician, and he had a cult following and. You know, that's what he did with his life. He was a great musician, great piano player and singer. Um, his group, he, he's, his name was Stu Blank, and his group was called Stu Blank and the Nasty Habits. Played with a lot of guys who did end up making it, but he, uh, well, I shouldn't say that he didn't make it, because he did make it. He, he had a great career, but, uh, you know, he never made it to that mainstream level, like a lot of people he played with. What did it mean for you as a kid to have a dad who was a who was a musician? I mean, honestly, I didn't really grow up with him in my household, but um, you know, it was something cool to to look up to and look at. Uh, I would see him every once in a while. He he him and my mother were not married, so you know he he had another family after he had me. But um, you know, just growing up and and going to clubs and seeing him do sound checks even was like something that stuck out in my mind. I couldn't always be there when he played because of, you know, certain clubs wouldn't let me go in them and stuff. But 
you know, watching him play the piano and just seeing seeing the life of a musician and having instruments around me, you know, just made me curious, curious and sparked my, my interest in the arts. How did it make the life of a musician seem to you to grow up with your father as a professional musician, but also your father not, not, um, not being around that much? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it kind of, I, I took an interest in music just because there was a lot of stuff that I saw that I felt like I could relate to as far as the, a lot of music being played and I really felt it in my heart and you know I I just got into my own um style of music listening to hip hop and you know I just felt that it was something that was attainable because I had watched him do it so you know I I didn't feel like music was too far away from something that I could reach for were you a, a lifelong hip-hop fan? Like, when you became aware of popular music, was hip-hop what you were into? Definitely. I mean, I started with... Early on, I think I started with, like, rock music, but that was only for a short time. And then when... um In the late 80s, then I really got into the hip-hop sound. Maybe, uh, maybe Michael Jackson was probably... Not that he's hip-hop, but he was probably, like, the, uh, you know, the uh, gateway from rock into hip-hop for me. And then uh, started listening to a lot of early LL Cool J, Public Enemy, KRS-One, Boogie Down Productions, a lot of the New York guys. But, you know, since I was from Oakland, um, Too Short and, uh, you know, a lot of the big West Coast guys at the time, N.W.A., Ice-T. And, yeah, I mean, I was all about it, Beastie Boys. I grew up in the Bay, so I'm down to I live in L.A., that means I'm down to work Got a laid-back style, but I like to floss it Vans and chucks inside my closet L.A. face with an Oakland booty That's what my wife got, she don't act snooty Hey, that's a big thing, still come with that A-game But be on the A-list to see an L.A. chick Los Angeles, we all can't handle it Some call it plastic, that's just the half of it Like the cows on the five when you mash quick That's a drive, but it flies when you passionate Yeah, I got family up north Homies down south, man, it's all home court we take it back and forth, some Oakland Raiders, the Bay to LA, like a me, but player. Uh, that time you're describing the, the late 80s and uh, very beginning of the 90s was really a, uh, that was a big period of growth in the in hip hop in the Bay Area. Definitely. Um, what did it mean to you for uh, to listen to music that came from where you were from? I don't know, the California, well, you know, I started... I, I listened to both coasts. I listened to East Coast stuff and West Coast stuff, but the California stuff was kind of, you know, it was closer to home. And it was, you know, I I would have these ideas that, hey, maybe I'll see Too Short driving down the street doing the stuff that he's talking about. So it was really something that I felt like, you know, and it was rebellious and I was a, you know, I was a young kid. I wasn't even a teenager yet, so... But I, I guess as a young kid, you, you have this rebellious mentality against your parents a little bit, or at least I did, and some of my friends did. So it was like, you know, a, it, it was cool to listen to this music that had a little bit of, you know, bad words in it, but also said some cool stuff that I felt like, you know, yeah, I, I feel like that too, you know, so... In Too Short's case, a pretty fair volume <laughs> of bad words. Uh, yeah, yeah, he wasn't, I mean... He's not the guy I modeled myself after, you know what I mean, and and found drew the most parallels with in my life. But you know, just 
the music sounded good and it was saying something at the time that that was like you know at the very least attention grabbing tell me about how uh you started to make music um i would say uh well as time went on i would say high school years you know i was in high school in the early 90s and um you know mid 90s and uh there were a couple groups that were you know, beginning to become successful. Hieroglyphics, most notably, um, that's Dell and Souls of Mischief. They were, uh, you know, some of those guys went to the same school that I went to, and they had had a, uh, they had gotten signed to a record label, Jive Records, and they were putting out albums before they were even out of high school. So that that's when it really. This was a, this was also immediately after um, after the biggest hip hop artist in the world was Hammer, who was also from Oakland and exactly. opened a lot of doors for a oh, lot of definitely. people from the Bay. Definitely, area. I guess he uh, you know he shed a lot of light on that city as far as hip hop goes, and you know there was always a there was Digital Underground, there was Tony Tony Tony, there was Sly and the Family Stone way back in the day. I mean, there's huge you know funk and hip hop roots in Oakland, California, always so. But for me, actually getting into high school and seeing some of the kids that I was going to high school with get record contracts and come out with records was when it was like, oh, man, this is this is crazy. This is something I want to be a part of. And, uh, you know, I, I, I already had these bedroom fantasies of, you know, making music and putting it out there and getting these getting studio equipment. And, you know, back then I was like, you know, 16 years old, thinking, how am I going to get a $2,500 keyboard? You know what I mean? And so when I finally got old enough to get a credit card, you know, that's, that's where <laughs> the the max out situation went right away, you know. So watching that really inspired me. And then, you know, once I had that first keyboard, it was just on from then on out. You know, it was like, how do I... I don't know the first thing about working this keyboard. How you know how should how how can I make the sound come out of this? You know, and just sitting with it for hours and hours until I figured it out, and you know, asking people around me if they knew anything about it. And you know, this is before the internet was widely available, and it was it's basically just a learning a self learning process. I met up with a couple of guys who really did help me a lot. They were called the Mystic Journeymen. They were the first people I saw in Oakland who were doing the independent hip-hop thing. So there was the Hieroglyphics that was close to home doing the signed major record label thing. But then all of a sudden, I was introduced to these guys, um, Mystic Journeymen, who, who already had, you know, they weren't signed to a record label, but they had tapes out that they were selling. And I I was just like extremely blown back by that. And, you know, there was all these stories that went along with it. Like, yeah, these guys just they make the music in their bedrooms. They dub up the, you know, the cassette tapes on dual cassette decks. And then they go to Kinko's and they make these um, color copies and use that as the cover. And then they get out there on the streets of Telegraph in Oakland, Berkeley and sell these tapes as finished products to people. And I just was, you know, taken away by that. And, you know, I, I met them early on in my decision, early on after my decision to, like, actually pursue music. And, you know, they steered me in that right, in that direction, which I feel was the right direction for us to go in. 
at the time. Were you at the time uh, already both uh, uh, producing and uh, MCing? Um, at that time, I was probably very early on in the uh, MCing part of it. Uh, I was. Uh, I had the keyboard, and my main focus and what I had always always envisioned myself doing was creating the backdrop for some you know hip-hop music you know and kind of just playing the background and uh making the beats and so i was learning how to do that and i was farther along with that than actually rapping but i had a friend who was uh, a rapper and uh you know he was rapping with some guys at his school but you know we were close friends and he really wanted to rap with one of his close friends and so he would always you know kind of urged me to be like come on man pick up a pen let's let's write some songs and uh you know at first i had no idea of how to stay on beat i hadn't thought twice about it in my life you know i just was a big music listener as far as that went and um i don't know it just kind of uh just kind of happened i remember writing my first rap on a on a brown paper bag and trying to spit it out and you know, being really offbeat and but but feeling like I liked the exercise of doing it and just wanted to get better and better and better and better. Did did you like the performance part of it? Um, early on, I was really nervous about performing, and that's that's the main reason probably why I thought in my head I wanted to be a background guy, kind of just make the beats and you know have my sound be heard, but I I didn't need to be seen. But when I met the Mystic Journeyman, they really pushed me to, you know, be a rapper, be a producer, be a performer, you know, get out there. They, you know, they really told me, you can do it. Your sound is good. You know, in fact, there was a, there was one weekend where they were leaving town to go down to uh, Los Angeles because we all lived in the Bay at the time. And they, they said to me, you know, when we get back, you need to have a tape together and it needs to be ready to sell. You know, you need to be out there selling this tape. You know, we're going to be gone for three days. Go. You know what I mean? So I, uh, you know, I basically heeded that, you know, threat or warning or advice, whatever you want to call it. And I I put some stuff together and, I, you know, it ended up being my first tape, which is called Don't Talk to Me. And yeah, you know, it just went from there. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. We'll have more with The Grouch, whose new album is called Show You the World, when we return. Our second annual Maximum Fun Drive has reached its conclusion, and I want to thank the 450-plus people who became new donors to the sound of young America and MaximumFun.org. Every single one of you, a heartfelt thanks from me, personally. We'll be sending out prizes over the next month or so. It might take a while for them to get to your door. Don't worry, they will come. And to put it simply, thank you. Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by Metafilter. Metafilter is a community weblog designed to foster discussion among its thousands of members worldwide. Metafilter is online at www.metafilter.com. It's the Sound of Young America for MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. Let's get back to my interview with The Grouch. 
Were you at all self-conscious um, very early on in your career about your race? I mean, you're a, you're a white guy like me, in yeah. case anybody's wondering what race I am, yeah. the world's whitest person. Yeah. Were you self-conscious about your race as a, as a hip-hop performer? Well, the thing is, is back then, hip-hop was not, you know, the most uh, popular genre of music in the world like it is today or like it was a couple years ago, you know. Um, I don't know who's ahead at this point, but... You know, it's definitely gotten a lot popular and a lot more acceptable over the years. And back then, it was mainly, you know, a black audience, especially in Oakland, California. And so to see a young white guy get up there on the stage and and rap at that time was not the norm. And it wasn't something that you that most people had seen before. So, you know, there was definitely an intimidation factor. I I or a nervousness, I should say, rather. And uh, I don't know. There were time, There was one time that sticks out where we had a show at the Black Repertory Theater in Berkeley, and um, it was one of my first times performing, and the show was being thrown by one of the Mystic Journeymen. And as soon as I stepped on the stage, I started getting, you know, pennies and wads of paper thrown at me, you know, before I even opened my mouth. And so that was kind of, you know, that that made me feel pretty uneasy. But then, you know, I had a lot of friends rush up there and tell these guys, oh, wait a second, you know, you haven't even heard him yet. You know, wait till he starts rapping. You guys are going to, you know, see something that is, is pretty cool. And so, you know, the music came on and I started doing my thing and it just it, it turned from, you know, it just turned from a bad situation to a good situation real fast. And so, you know, with that kind of support after that, I just, you know, I, I had people checking for me in, in Oakland and saying, when are you going to play next? Um, can, when is this material going to be available? You know, when can I buy it? Where can I buy it? And it was just, you know, a lot of support. So it, it only got easier and easier. You alluded earlier to um, to the taking the independent route, which is something that uh, your whole crew, the Living Legends, are, are particularly well known for making and selling your your own product. Definitely, um, in which you still do to this day. Definitely. Um, was that a choice out of out of uh, to what extent was that a choice out of just out of simple necessity, and to what extent was it you know like an ideological choice, like a choice we we want to be this? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think that some of us may have taken record contracts if they were if the record companies were knocking on our door offering us money back then, but that wasn't the case, you know what I mean? We hadn't built up big names for ourselves yet, and the music that we were making was, you know, more like the standard demo that people were making at the time to try and get signed. Only I feel like ours was a little bit you know, the intention behind it was not to make a demo and give it to some A&R and get signed. It was like, this is our music. This is our album. You know, we, we made this just the same way, you know, the Rolling Stones made their album in our in our mind. You know what I mean? So it was like a finished product when 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 we were thinking about making it, you know, and so. I don't know. We just ran with the independent idea. We liked that idea. We liked, you know, being able to go direct from the bedroom to the listener. You know what I mean? And and we liked being we we had done a little research. We knew that there was, 
you know, more behind the glossy on TV artists that you see. And there, and, and that there was a lot of politics involved, involved with record contracts and, you know, having to be on someone else's schedule and having to, you know, conform to certain, you know, rules and stuff about what kind of music, what you can say and what you can't say as an artist or, you know, how poppy your music should be if you want it to get played on the radio. And we were kind of against all that stuff. And so, you know, independent was a word that we used right off the bat. And, and that just had a lot of, uh, you know, we, we just had a lot of energy behind that word. And that word meant a lot for us. And so... You know, we just ran with it and didn't think much else about it. Ladies keep the hedges trimmed, fellas keep the motors running. I got a daughter, promoters keep the money coming. Not just a talker, me, I'm authoring this. Put it on the market, look at the offers I get. Now that's independent game, man. Nobody else's name. I built the frame, put the wheels on, you feel the flame. Now that's fire, baby. Let's go higher, maybe all it takes is real power, boy, that's real. In the beginning of your uh, of your career in the mid-1990s was a time of a big kind of bifurcation in hip-hop where, mm-hmm. you know, on the radio, more and more you were hearing the... Um, you know, uh, 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 Puffy and Mace sound, mm-hmm. um, and the, and the just kind of the broad materialism, which had always been a part of hip hop. Certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's not like, uh, LL Cool J wasn't wearing giant dookie chains, Yeah, but, uh, that was becoming very much the dominant form on the radio and so-called underground hip hop was emerging as a kind of, uh, 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 antithesis to that. Did you, did you see, did you see the music that you were making at that time as in some way, you know, oppositional to what was going on on the radio? Yeah, definitely. Earlier on, especially, especially, um, you know, it was kind of, it was almost an us against them type of feeling uh, with the underground and the mainstream, you know. Um, that lasted for a little while until I felt like, I mean, not that I, I changed it, but for me, it lasted a while until I felt that, uh, you know, that, that competition was kind of kind of stupid and kind of trendy after a while and you know i i realized that it wasn't about that good music is good music and um i don't know but there definitely was that for for a certain period of time were there things that you feel like you you missed out on because you had that stance uh not too much i mean i wouldn't change much you know if i went back and and could do it again but, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would have different experiences if I chose the other route or if I tried to get signed to a record label. I mean, you know, they're hieroglyphics, you know, they were signed to a record label in the beginning and they ended up an independent company at this point. So I think that that stint with the major record labels helped them in a certain extent, you know, to a certain extent, because... You know, it, they developed a large fan base, a, a larger fan base off the bat. And so now when they're selling their independent music, they're speaking to the same fans that they, they got in the beginning. Um, and I think that that's good. But, you know, at the same time, they probably can't sell their album 93 till infinity at shows. So they're probably missing out on something there. What was the toughest lesson that you learned about being independent in the music business when you 
just sort of dove into it as as an artist and in this case as an entrepreneur as well well one of the things is that you know to be an independent artist you have to do you know a lot of the a lot of self-promoting and you know a, a lot of the effort and energy that goes into self-promoting happens by doing live shows for an independent artist so it's like we would get really big in California, you know, we'd have these real nice shows in California or we'd go to certain places like Colorado where maybe a kid from California would take back our CD and it would just, you know, blow people away in that particular state. But, you know, going to somewhere like Philadelphia where they have a large music scene, um, you know, and it's on the East Coast and having a show and feeling like you're, you know, you're a successful independent artist. But then, you know, the time for the show comes and there's 40 people in the audience. You know, it, it was kind of like, oh, we aren't, you know, we aren't touching everybody everywhere. Just, you know, like like uh, maybe a major label artist would be, you know, he, his, his videos on TV and boom. You're everywhere at once, you know, so we didn't have that. So I feel like that was kind of a that was something that we had to realize and try to figure out how we we're going to make it work everywhere. And that's, you know, it's a, the, the constant battle for an independent artist is, you know, how are you going to expose yourself to to everybody and promote yourself to everybody all over the world? Let's talk a little bit about your uh, music, since, yeah. since you are a musician. We've yeah. been talking so much about history and mechanics. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your new record. Uh, you had been really prolific uh, through the mid and late 90s and the early part of the 21st century, mm-hmm. um, You know, putting out a record or two a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it... And there was a gap of a number of years between your last record and this one. Yeah. What, what was the difference? Well, I... You know, I haven't just been sitting around not making music. I actually did a couple um, projects since my last one. You made a big big album with Zion Eye. Yeah, I made a big album with Zion Eye. I made an album with The Living Legends. I made an album with my partner Eli. I made an album with another guy from Living Legends, Lucky I Am. I made a solo EP. Well, not a, I mean, I made a collaboration EP with a guy, Daddy Kev who runs Alpha Pub Records. Um, so that's a lot of stuff. And I also had a daughter two years ago. So that's pretty much all I could fit into those five years. So, yeah, it's been a while since I did a solo album, but, you know, I've been working and I've been doing, you know, doing music this whole time. Do you feel like the music that you make on a uh, on a Grouch album is different than the music that you make on a collaborative record? I definitely do. Um I don't know how to describe it exactly. I think it's I think it's a little bit more personal um, from me to the listener, um, and I just think the ideas are naturally, genuinely more 100% me. You know, because when I'm working with other people, there's other input and there's ideas that I wouldn't necessarily try, and I'm glad that I try them when I'm working with with those people and. Sometimes I miss out on those ideas when I'm doing a solo record, but then sometimes I add ideas that may get shot down by other people that I know are good ideas. So, you know, there's there's definitely 
pros and cons to working with people and working by yourself. One of the songs on your new album that struck me the most was the uh, second track, which is called Watch Watch, and yeah. it, it feels like um, it feels like it's the the first track on the CD is is just a little introductory piece, yeah. And this is sort of the opening salvo, yeah. and, and it feels sort of like a mission statement to me. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I didn't necessarily create it or intend it to be that. It just felt like a, uh, you know, it just felt like a feel good track to me to put at the beginning of the album. Um, it touches a little bit on, you know, some of the things that I've been thinking and the, the frame of mind that I'm in. And, uh, yeah, I think it works well as a beginning song. Straight from the heart. That's how I rank, man. Basic and smart. That's how I live. I want to be that. So I got to say this now. It's part of me calling me, follow me in. Watch, 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 watch what you act for. You just, just, just might get it. You act, act, act like you know more. Rouches that yes he is. They say that it never rains in Southern California. They lied. I'm in my studio pain and a lot of people died. The big wave came and gotta love the life I lead and how it keeps changing. Age and wisdom come together like a couple who love well. I bust another nut, then I buckle up my belt. If I could sell the world my story, I wouldn't be broke. The world has got enough for all. Go on and eat, folks, but I don't mean meals at a square. I see myself greater than that, man. I'm a player. And that's the old school clean kind of adolescent thing kind. You should know what I mean right there. Instant vintage, can you manage? I'm in it to break limits, make them smile. Not a grimace, twelves whooping, not ten inch. Thoughts endless, talk to build men. It's all too relevant, raw yet eloquent, 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 eloquent. eloquent. Watch, 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 watch what you. It feels to me like the the couplet in the chorus, which is. Uh, 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 straight from the heart and, and simple and smart right? yeah. is the rhyme. Yeah, that seems like it could describe what what I imagine for you to be to be shooting for in your music. Yeah, I mean that definitely does that does kind of sum up what I feel I am as a writer. Those are unusual uh, goals in the, the world of hip hop. I mean, not that rappers aren't rapping from the heart, but a lot of times hip hop is about demonstrating skills. Mm -hmm. or it's about um, creating a, a persona for yourself that is, you know, somehow bigger than what you are yeah. straight from the heart, you know, yeah. Yeah. whatever it is, whether it's, you know, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I'm reasonably confident that, you know, Sugar Free thinks about other things besides getting his nails done and his various prostitutes that work for him. Right. And, and the, current state of his hair right another big thing he's on right but so it's unusual so t tell me how did you end up making that kind of how did you end up having that as being the core value of the music that you're making i mean honestly a lot of that goes back to the beginning of my career i think and just you know like you said i'm mean, growing up in oakland and being a white dude into hip-hop and not really trying to, you know, when I when I was ready to make my presentation, not really trying to be, you know, one of these guys who was going to step into the scene of a of a majority of a black music scene, and, you know, be, you know, what is it, standing out too much? I mean, I mean, I wanted to stand out as an individual. But I didn't want to be flashy or gaudy or like, 
you know, or, or too loud with it. I just wanted to be real. Like, look, I like this music and these are the reasons why I like it. And this is honest. And, you know, I have a reason to like this music. I've been through this and I know about some of the same things that you may know about here, except me for me. This is who I am. It's interesting to me because it's such a different uh, it, it's such a different way of presenting yourself than the story about a white hip hop guy that you know a lot of people listening might know, which is they saw Eight Mile. Yeah, and there's this um, you know that that whole movie is basically about a guy who needs to prove himself by battling, which is yeah. a, just a, which is a, sim- a reaction to a similar yeah. state, but it's yeah. a very different kind of reaction. Yeah. I want to be an original person, and that's what came to my mind. You know what I mean? So that's that's how I am, and that's how I want my music to sound. And I realize that hip-hop is based on a lot of... I mean, there's a, there's so many elements to hip-hop. A lot of people are... You know, there's a lot of people who drop knowledge, and that's their thing. There's a lot of people who are flashy jewelry guys. There's people who are just you know, swole up muscle guys and they'll beat you up or, you know, what, whatever it is, you know, everybody has something and that's, and that's what I have, you know, and that's what I feel is cool. You know, I don't, I don't want to try to be so cool with the clothes that I wear or, you know, the, the uh, entourage that I'm walking in with. I just want to be, you know, cool because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good person is what I feel. I'm one of the swole up muscle guys. <laughs> yeah, if they could see you now. <laughs> the single from your record, for which for which you made a video, is called Artsy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that feels like uh, it, that feels like it's about some of the things that you were just talking about. Oh, definitely, it, yeah. T- I, tell me about it. I'm kind of just poking fun at you know, the the main idea is that within any given scene, whether it's the fashion scene, the hip hop world, dance music, you know, positive, you know. Uh, peaceful music whatever it is there's always some people who think they're the 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 farthest ahead in that genre they're the coolest or they're the smartest or they're the most energy efficient or you you know what i mean they got the most money um and i was just kind of trying to poke fun at that whole you know that whole situation you ain't artsier than me, cause you got sideburns and a vintage tee. I said, you ain't artsier than me, cause you pluck a guitar, that ain't fucking bizarre. You ain't artsier than me, cause you live in low speedless, bitch, you ain't Jesus. You ain't artsier than me, I got a colorful vocab, watch the low jazz. So what, you are vegan, it shows in your presence, you be geeking. And you've been seeking the same light, speaking the game like the enemy. Hang tight, I got a tail about six foot one by infinity. Full of sun rain and potential energy. All you saw were the case, Swiss clean, criss crease jeans, means this. So you thought and dip my walk's hip, thought tipper, unzip the zipper. No, I don't wear him for drink liquor, and that'll make me the man just a little bit sicker. You know, I'm the man of this scene, you know, or I'm better than you because I have a faster car or i have rarer records or i have the the loudest colors on you know and and so it wasn't it's definitely not a battle this song towards anybody there's so many things within that song that i do and there's so many things that i don't do and you know there's there's things i don't know i just try to keep it i try to touch on a lot of different areas to 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 get the point across that it's a general 
song that is not to be taken too seriously, but yeah, we all probably are guilty of of this a little bit. The other theme that comes up a lot on on this new album is your daughter. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how having a kid uh, affected the music that you make. Well, I didn't want to like have a daughter and say. I'm making my whole next album about my daughter. So there's like, you know, when I did the Zion I and Grouse project, I made one song dedicated to her. Rio Moore, double Gemini, born on a Saturday morning, swimming right out the womb. The midwives, mommy and I in the living room, plus the grandmas. Water delivery handoff, now you're on her chest and my manhood ran off. How's the heart? Count the parts. She's a perfect 10. All right, then we walk to the bedroom. Umbilical attached still. Mom's a soldier. How natural does that feel? We let it post when it slowed down. I cut the cord. You're your own now. And I swore I had shit figured out before. Baby, the old me went right out the door. I just want to be the father. Folks rarely do. Stand up and be there for you. And I, I thought that that fit good on that record. And then when it came time to make my own record, I thought, well, she's definitely a big part of my life and it been a huge inspiration for this music. Let me use her on the cover and in a couple points in the record, but not make a record about her. And um, I don't know, but as, as far as the inspiration she's given me, it's just been, you know, she's as soon as she came out, I just had a, a, a whole bunch of creative energy. And so a lot of those songs, you know, were kick-started just by the energy of being a new father and, and, and having a beautiful daughter. You know, some of the thoughts that go through my head when, when making the music, like, you know, I'll be writing a rap and then, you know, I'm, I may say something, or a, a thought may come to mind that is not, you know, politically correct or, you know, or, or it's a little vulgar or it's, you know, you, you know, just a, a little angry or what i don't know man um you know profane maybe whatever um but it'll definitely cross my mind if it's too bad and i'll say to myself like how am i going to explain that to rio when she gets older so you know that's kind of like a that's kind of like something that allows me to judge whether the material is going overboard or to or or not to me at this time you know what I mean? So I'll kind of, if, if I feel like it's something that I wouldn't want my daughter to hear me say, then I probably won't say it, you know. And then there are some times where, you know, maybe I'll say it in a different way if I really want to make the point that I was making. Or, you know, sometimes sometimes I weigh the options and I and I just go with the original thought and I say, well, she'll understand that. But it's it's definitely like a meter in the back of my mind, having a daughter and, and and thinking about what comes out of my mouth. Does the fact that your dad wasn't around when you were a kid uh, affect the way you think about your, your relationship with your daughter? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a stepdad. Um, he did a pretty good job, but, you know, it's it, it wasn't the same as having a real father around. Um, and, you know, my biological father was... You know, he he lived in the same state, at least, but I didn't see him that much. You know what I mean? So I don't feel like I ever had a man to show me how to be a man. 
you know, and I'm not, you know, I, I of course have a daughter, so I'm going to teach her as much as I know about just being a good human being. And, um, yeah, it definitely weighs. It definitely weighs in there. And I, I just want to be around and I want to be there for her as much as I can. Well, Grouch, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the San Diego America. All right, definitely. Thank you for having me. The Grouch's brand new album is called Show You the World. Well, you can make any day the greatest day. Just visualize peace when you play this. I'm not saying my whole life's a meditative state, but I was calm, cool, collect when I laid this. Call me the Grouch, but I don't get upset. Kick a verse through the speaker, get my Gouda then jet. Back to my fam. I live the life of a man. Two cars, two dogs, a wife and a plan. I told you I was making sense. All else will make it crazy like following trends. But keeping up with the neighbors won't save you. I'm deep enough to know myself. Now that's major. And I'm proud of me. No male figure to teach me how to be. Oh well, too eager to reach out or leave. I should have known if all was good at home, I wouldn't have grown. I put it in poem to show them a better way. Something abstract and clever, not let astray. Break bread, make good, awaken. We taking this hip-hop back to self-creation. Meaning I could say whatever I want. And I don't gotta act a certain way to make a chunk. Ain't a punk just because it's not the same as before. Temptation lures, but my aim is pure. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself, interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can always email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. And one more time, thank you to all 450 of you who donated in the Maximum Fund Drive, and, of course, to everyone who donated previously. And a preemptive thank you to those of you who are about to jump onto the computer, go to MaximumFun.org, and donate now. Thank you so much to all of you.